Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast uh, YouTube page. Today we're going to take a bit of a break from the uh, Class of 99 series and we're going to talk to a couple of filmmakers who actually were the first ones that I interviewed for the podcast Um, back when... uh, his film uh, Alienated was uh, coming out on uh, throughout in in a few theaters as well as um, video on demand, and uh, it's good to have them back uh, this time. We're talking about another film that they made that I happened to see late last year that I really love called Twenty Fifty, and I'm we're going to be joined a little bit later by the director Princeton Holt, but. For now, please join me in welcoming back to the podcast uh, writer and producer Brian Ackley. Brian, thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Brian. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. So, um, what was what was the inspiration for uh, 2050? Okay, that's a great question that I'm not going to be able to answer completely <laughs> due to my memory. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Princeton chiming in and uh, and between the two of us sort of recollecting what you know what uh, transpired in the early stages. But for me, um, <clears throat> one of the um, uh, well, I'm sorry, was your question geared toward influences or sort of how the process started? Sort of how the process started as far as I mean, if there were any particular influences and inspirations in terms of, what led you to, you know, have this idea that you wanted to write down and make a film on? I mean, we can talk right. about cinematic well, influences too. Um, I guess we'll come we'll come back to the influences question. The um, project started essentially um, from a from source material that was created by uh, by our team a while back, and we decided to completely rework the 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 concept of it. And uh, the very many of the elements, the initial elements came from Princeton himself, and that's that there was going to be some uh, an ensemble cast that was intertwined, uh, um, and there were there would be um, romance would be one of the one of the genre, one of the elements to be played with, um, and because of uh, we we'd made a few films together and we'd learned um, what. Well, here's a an important thing. When you're making a film that you expect other people to see, it's a good idea to to find out what other people may want to see. And so what that means is that um, um, we learn audiences like science fiction. Mm-hmm. They like fantasy films. <clears throat> they like horror films. So we decided to tap into that because we wanted, we wanted to create a film that people would be interested in seeing. So those were the initial elements that, that we... That that the heart of what got us going, um, and then we played with. Uh, <clears throat> so we're we're coming from science science fiction. Uh, we we we. So the players involved, Princeton, my my partner, uh, uh, producing partner, Princeton Holt, who's who directed a couple films, um, feature films, and uh, also David Vaughn, who is a producing partner of ours on this, and he's also the lead actor. Mm-hmm. The three of us are um, we're the core team behind the development of the story and of the script itself. 
Um, I would go on after discussing different things with them. I would go on and write the write the script down, but I would come back to them and continue and and make sure that the pieces made sense, made sure that the the, the story was exciting. Um, so they they were an integral part of the creation and development of the the script, even if I'm taking the credit for writing it. Okay. Um, and we had to get into more of that too. It's a pretty it was a pretty fun process. Yeah. What was it that, why, what made you um, sort of land on the particular subject matter, which if you're, if you're not familiar with it, 2050 deals with a, it's a futuristic world in which uh, artificial intelligence and in particular sex robots, although to a certain extent that feels a bit, too generic of a term in this case, um, are very commonplace. And there's enormous controversy with regards to how significant and how meaningful these, and whether this is something that is good for society or bad for society. And the thing that I love, one of the things that I love about the film so much is that it, and it's not really surprising given the fact that I've seen both yours and Brian's previous work, or sorry, yours and Princeton's previous work. So, I mean, I know you guys are very much focused in terms of character-driven character storytelling. Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah. That's the most important thing for you. And so what was it about that idea that sort of – made you land on that idea as far as telling this particular story? Um, it just ended up making sense for us. So there was a bit of uh, back and forth and research and trying to figure out what, what, um, what we could play with um, in terms of story. Um, and we, we, we knew we wanted something, we wanted to start with something that was um, exciting, titillating even, um, there's something that would people would be curious about, um, and in the news. So we just kind of found that this this article popped up in the news, and uh, Princeton will have to let it you know remind me if it was David that found it or he found it. Um, but this idea of of, um, of AI intelligence being used for um, uh, in in place in place of uh, sex box in place of uh, sex dolls rather. So this whole idea of six bots, and um, it's kind of interesting because David and Princeton and I would each come at it at, at different angles, and we'd be excited about the questions that pop up um, in different ways, and and together that all sort of, um, or at least most of it, kind of marriages and comes together in in the script. Um, but for me, the a lot of things that you had talked about in, in your in your review of the film um, are are exactly those questions that came to mind, and that those are things that that I knew I wanted to explore with this kind of story. Okay. And it's also one of the kinds of things when you're talking about sex sex bots, there it just opens up so many questions. And and if since we are very much focused on character driven stories then we're going to want to know what the psychology, how the psychology plays out mm -hmm. uh, given certain characters. Um, so there are just all sorts of possibilities. I think that's what excited us the most. 
what w- what would you say is probably was probably the trickiest thing uh, you came up against when it came to uh, writing the story and the screenplay for this movie? Oh, um, <clears throat> well, I'll start by saying that this this was probably and it remains today. We, we this may. We made this maybe uh, three, we wrote this maybe four years ago, five years mm-hmm. ago at this point. But this project remains maybe the most um, um, easily, the, the easiest project for me to work on with other people as, as collaborators go. So it was the easiest script to write. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a smooth process with, the, with how Princeton and David and I were able to work. Uh, but now coming back to challenges, um, I, there was a bit of negotiating and, and, well, I should say compromising with the other two to figure out, you know, um, where a certain character will want to go. Mm-hmm. How much does this character play things? How much does that character play into things? Um, so there was another, there was that, but we never had any heated conversations. We, you know, we just sort of worked it through pretty evenly. Um, but I do, I do remember coming toward the end of, of writing the script and building, you know, building um, the, 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 the tension of, of, of not knowing where this story could possibly go. Um, I, and I, I had drafted a, a scene that was sort of the opposite scene of one of the earlier scenes when we first meet the first sex bot. Mm-hmm. It's the scene where um, the, the scene in, in, um, uh, Drew's apartment, where we meet Drew for the first time, and his sister comes barging in with her husband. They brought Chinese food, but really she's there, kind of spying on him and and just being overprotective. Mm-hmm. So it was a mirror scene that happens toward the at, toward the end that brings these all these characters uh, together um, <clears throat> in such a way that that was rewarding to me. The, the big question is, what is the answer? We're, we're posing all these questions, like the you have a, a marriage that's sort of slipping away, and you have an element of, a, of, of, another, of something else coming in that, that can help break that marriage up, or it could help bring the marriage together. And, and figuring out how that, how that can be, I thought I was pretty clever in figuring out in figuring that out and in mm-hmm. drafting this particular scene at the and, and it was very challenging. It was a very difficult scene to to write and to work out. But once the pieces made sense to me, it came out very smoothly. But ultimately, it didn't hold up to uh, either Princeton or David's idea of how the film should conclude or how all of these themes should be tied in together. It could have been, I mean, and it could have just been bad writing. Also, it could have been on me. To not have been able to um, to uh, write exactly what I had in mind to project mm-hmm. the uh, the ideas in mind, I, I just may not have done a good job of, of doing that. <clears throat> when you guys were working on coming up with the story, writing out the story, and basically developing this world, what was how much of it did you have was how much did you, when you when it came to building this world, which is a futuristic world where artificial intelligence is commonplace and it's a sim- significant part of this society, certainly in terms of the movie that you've made, 
how much uh, back and forth, how much give and take was there in terms of were there things that you were get you guys were coming up with in terms of this futuristic world that you just weren't able to put in or was it something where you realized that okay how do we make this as streamlined as possible going in we knew we were going to be grounded um now i had so david prince and i through ideas back and forth um what would happen is i would I would write the I wrote the outline. I would write pieces of the mm-hmm. outline. I'd write the outline itself and present it to them. And um, so the the outline in different stages. You know, the outline is just three acts, and then the the outline developed a little bit more, where you have a bit of the character development of the major players in each act, and then a an outline that displays all of essentially all of the scenes. Uh, with a little bit of information that gives you the, an idea of the, the complete story. So there were different stages that, that we'd move through, and each time they would offer their input, and then we would discuss, and then I would build the next outline, the more in-depth outline based on that. So moving in, um, I believe Princeton was very it was open in general. In terms of writing the story, he didn't want there to be any limitations on me as a, as a writer. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted there to be, you know, whatever elements I wanted, if I wanted there to be explosions, this or that, I believe he was open to that from a creative perspective in terms of starting, like getting the first or second drafts drafts out. Um, but then of course I, I, I put on my myself the fact that explosions and certain elements <laughs> were just kind of unrealistic. So, right. so Princeton and David, you know, gave me that permission as far as I remember. Um, but we all still had the mentality that we were going to be filming this ourselves. We'd be raising our own budget. So we're only going to be talking about, you know, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're not talking about millions of dollars. Right. Um, at least, you know, so we, we went in pretty restricted. Um, and then, um, well, we yeah, I guess we didn't focus too much on what the uh, the outside world would be too much. I mean, for me personally, there were elements of that. Um, I believe Princeton would would come to face those challenges more moving into pre-production mm-hmm. when he got to kind of play with figuring out what it's going to look like and sound like. Yeah. Um, and what what sci-fi elements may may exist in this in this world. Uh, but yeah, so we kept it pretty tight in the script, basic, and I, I should say I did because you know knowing that our budget would be limited, whatever it would be, and knowing also that I mean caring more about the characters themselves, um, and not and and the the world is is more of a metaphor behind right. what's actually happening. What were some of when it came to writing the uh, script? What were some of the uh, movies that you may have drawn on or were inspired by when it came to writing this story? Well, one of the major influences uh, we talked about um, several weeks ago, uh, because you had me on to talk about um, part of your 1999 podcast series, which is really such a cool thing, Mm -hmm. uh, but being John Malkovich. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, being John Malkovich was a was in uh, a major influence um, in terms of um, I guess the the style in which I would the approach I would take because being John Malkovich it, it's sort of a a strange world odd things happen in this world but we don't spend a lot of time away from the characters away mm -hmm. from the people so it's a very intimate setting e each most of the scenes are very intimate in nature. Um, so you don't, you don't, you, you're not, you don't have, you know, vast, you don't have people looking out windows and you're seeing what, what the everyday sort of world is, yeah. is, is like, um, but that became a, a, a big influence. And, um, another film was her, mm -hmm. um, Spike Jones, I believe. Yeah. Um, Spike Jones in, in general, <laughs> it, okay. So yeah. Um, <laughs> That's interesting because I, I was going to say uh, Charlie Kaufman in general was a big influence, and a lot of times I I, I forget which of, uh, of of Kaufman's uh, scripts are directed by Jones versus um, uh, Michael Gondry. Right. Um, so I get the two of them mixed up because I just think the what happens I guess is the the material itself mm -hmm. or the concepts of the script are so wild and entertaining. Um, that I get drawn in those worlds, um, but but I mean both directors serve the, their scripts so so well. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, yeah, so her was uh, was an influence. Uh, and for Prince, I'm trying to uh, when Princeton chimes in, we can we can talk about um, Eyes Wide Shut, yeah. which I believe was an was an influence as well. Um, and I think. Uh, I think he's the one that essentially fed that influence into me, mm -hmm. uh, even in the in the right process. Um, so I'd like to. Um, well, we'll save that for for yeah. when he's able to chime in. What about any other? I mean, her her is actually an excellent example, and I'm kind of surprised I forgot about that when I was writing my own review of the movie because I absolutely love her and the way it mm -hmm. deals with a a relationship that a a human being has with artificial intelligence. Now, I mean, there it's a very different thing because of the fact that it's just this voice. There's not a physical component in there, but some of the same ideas are very much present. And that's one of the... And so, yeah, it is... I can't believe I completely forgot about her when I was uh, writing about the... When I was writing about 2050... Um, what, what would you, when, what movie, if there's, what particular, are there any particular movies, movie versions of AI that sort of bled, might have bled into the way you guys were conceiving of the AI in this particular film? I may not. Um, I may not be able to to answer that because it may be influences may may have become more subconscious. Mm -hmm. uh, when I when I'm writing a when I'm writing a project when I'm writing a story, I'm I'm very much in the world it's, itself and um, and trying to think of of things uh, of things logically. I'm I, I am the characters, so I'm just sort of moving along. And experiencing things, 
in in a very logical and matter of fact sort of sort of way. Um, so my, there isn't so much, let me make sure that I pull this element in or that element. Um, but at the same time, beforehand, um, we, there's discussions about different things, the different themes, and you can't help but, like her popped up, because you can't help but think of, of similar themes, parallel themes um, that both films address. Um, but when it comes to the actual writing, um, I just find it to be, um, I, I guess it, it would be distracting and it would be all these things, but all of that is all even beside the point. It's just, yeah. I, I just prefer to, to experience the story as I'm going through. And I, I'm very careful with what, with what can happen in the story because it has to make sense, mm -hmm. but I'm also driven by the exciting for me and what, what, you know, what would I do in the position if I'm in a bad, if I'm in sort of a sour marriage it's basically kind of going downhill. I'm I'm bored, and uh, and and there there's a major major issue in the in the with uh, with sex, and um, and there's this opportunity that comes to me where a uh, you know I could essentially um, design my own uh, companion, and um, and and fulfill that need. And, but because it's an inanimate object, because it's something else, the question is whether or not it's cheating. And so to bring up certain questions like this, these these are questions I would not be able to just flat out say yes or no or, or answer. Yeah. I would have to think about it because I would have to think about it. That, that goes into the story. So I'm presenting when I'm presenting Michael, Michael Green, the main character in the film, with, with certain challenges when things happen to him. I'm really presenting that to myself. Like, mm -hmm. what the hell would I do? What if I what, what if I accidentally fell in love with something, even the cheating issue aside, if I accidentally fell in love with this other entity, how what do I do next? You know? So um, so that's how I that's how I write things. But inevitably, uh, you know, you're to answer your question, mm -hmm. there there will be there will be subconscious influences that that play up into it. Uh, but but directly, I, I wouldn't. You know, so growing up, I, I don't know if this would classify or not. But growing up, one of my absolute favorite films was Terminator Two. Mm -hmm. um, I I saw the second one before I saw the first one. I've never been that strong for the first one. The first one is is well done. It's very thrilling, very exciting story. The second one for me just blows it out of the water. Yeah. Um, and there's they they touch on you know, machines versus humanity. There's some interesting, you know, they, they really play up with certain ideas in that film. And so maybe that somehow got into my brain mm -hmm. as I was developing it and trying to figure out how far can machines come to become human. Um, so I, and well, yeah, that, that I would have to spend more time kind of thinking <laughs> with those subconscious. Um, well, one of the films that you brought up in, in your review was Blade Runner. Yes. And Blade Runner is a very, very good film. Well, I first saw Blade Runner in uh, film school and I wasn't swept away by it. I thought it was an in mm -hmm. interesting tale. I think the, I think I was confused by certain elements of it, particularly the end. I don't think I was mature enough as, as an observer of film to be able to fully appreciate it because that wouldn't happen for another 10 years or so. Right. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't call Blade Runner an, an outright influence of our film, 
which would be which would sound strange if you watch both of the film both of our films because mm -hmm. there are again similar themes. But this could very easily have have gotten itself into my subconscious and been part of the process without knowing. Yeah. Well, when, when you were talking about like the journey that you know you as the writer are putting yourself in terms of the psyche of the characters, especially the character Michael, the main character here. You know, when when you were talking about that, it's I couldn't help but think of, and I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it's certainly the visual aspect of the film when Princeton comes in, but yeah, just just the whole nature of taking your protagonist on this journey into a world that he's not necessarily adept at um, navigating, certainly at the beginning is very much, uh -huh. it's very much the structure of Eyes Wide Shut, you know, and Tom Cruise's character. I mean, Bill in that character, in that movie, yes. he ends up going on this journey to into a world and into lifestyles that he just, he's, he's, he wants to, he, he's working on his own frustration with what his, and his own sense of jealousy at what his wife has just home, but at the same time, is he going to do something? You know, and there are times where he's very much, very much interested in doing something, but at the same time, there are other times where it's like he doesn't quite realize how much in over his head he is. Yeah, definitely. And so to come back to two films in particular, uh, well, to continue with the film you're talking about. Eyes Wide Shut, again, I do believe Princeton, this was a, a major influence for Princeton. That's something that yeah. excited him about how this kind of story could be told by going, by taking, you know, it's all visual stuff too because he takes Michael Green down a set of stairs as well and there's this whole mystery that 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 is built. Um, and and um, that... that well, yeah, that that that's 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 built as he continues down this uh, down this path to discover what this parlor is, um, and all of its wild possibilities. Yeah. Uh, so, for Princeton, and so he made that. I believe he made that clear going in. So that became an outright influence as we move forward with the story and how we tell it. So if Princeton had that, then I had being John Malkovich as an mm -hmm. over reference. For, that I was very excited to to intentionally infuse yeah. in the telling, in how we would tell a particular story. Mm -hmm. I mean, it it does actually really make sense that uh, you know, given given what I'm doing with regards to ninety nine, we're we're talking about we're also talking about two of the most significant. Oh, yeah, that, that films is right. That's right. Eyes wide shut came out with regards to a movie being made in twenty nineteen. <laughs> Uh, and yeah. being released in 2019, <laughs> so I mean, you have that insp inspiration of, and especially, it's funny because being John Malkovich was instantly considered a classic of a lot of people, and just a high watermark for cinema at that time when it, when it came to uh, that movie year. Eyes Wide Shut is something where it's like people, you know. There were a lot of people who loved it at the outset, and then, but the thing is, it really didn't grow in appreciation until more people started to watch it and realize, oh, this is what Kubrick was going for. 
he wasn't just going to make like yeah. a dirty, you know, a dirty, you know, softcore porn movie. It's like, it's like, of course he wasn't. That's not who Stanley Kubrick was as an artist. But yeah, yeah. Well, and I was the same. I I moved into that film the same way. Um, and it, it may not have been until um, Princeton, uh, Princeton's enthusiasm, which would have come, you know, years before we started talking about, you know, 2050. Um, because he's been he, he's he's always had an appreciation for that that the journey that the Tom Cruise character goes through. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting how many things you'll miss. Maybe it's a maybe it's like a you know like an immaturity when you're watching a film at a, at a certain age uh, or at a certain young age. Maybe you just don't. Maybe based on where you are in your life, you're not aligned to get the understand or you know, appreciate the themes that a film is talking about. Um, yeah. Okay, but so Prince, it's always Princeton, someone. Princeton is actually oh. calling in right now, so let me uh, let me try to get him oh, in great. on this. Uh, sorry, Jessmet. So I've been talking with Brian Ackley, the uh, credited writer of uh, 2050, and now we're joined by the director of 2050, Princeton Holt. Uh, Princeton, thank you for joining us today. Hi, guys. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to be. Uh, it, it's good to talk to you again. Like this is this is actually the first time I've talked to you. Uh, for the podcast in a few years, actually, Thanks. since we uh, did the Alienade podcast together, so yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while. Yeah, um, so I've been talking to Brian about the uh, sort of sort of some of the inception and the uh, development of 2050, and uh, sort of when as a director, uh, what were what was your um, what were some of your inspirations and some of your ideas when it came to uh, developing 2050? Well, uh, I'm not sure if Brian, Brian probably already, I think he already covered it uh, probably, but um, we were looking for something uh, sci-fi fantasy. Um, and that, I guess that, that prediction about the year 2050 and our interaction with androids, uh, was pretty funny and shocking enough for us to get going. So uh, ran it past Brian, talked to uh, David, our co-producer mm-hmm. um, and lead actor. We talked about it, and uh, it sort of that that kicked everything off in terms of the concept. We wanted to keep everything more, um, I guess, about interactions, the relationships, and less about the technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian. Uh, Brian somehow still found a way to incorporate technology uh, that found, somehow was able to um, work into the film, and so we were. I, I guess I'm just happy to get some, a little bit of the of the VFX in it, um, based on what Brian wrote. It seems like when I look back at it, you know, it doesn't feel like a lot, but mm-hmm. in the movie, it, it seems like there's more than what the script had <laughs> somehow. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's the drones that we added or or if that's the sequence itself playing itself out when the android was built. Um, but the idea was to keep it simple and keep it low, uh, low budget. Yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, one of the things I was really impressed with when I saw the movie um, for the first time in November was the fact that you guys were able to 
come up with this credible sci-fi world that still felt very much within the real world, but also it it was very simple the way that you established the fact that it's it's a futuri- it's a futuristic world. It's a world that is not necessarily our own, but it's one that also grew out of our own. And that's one of the things I was really impressed with when uh, I was uh, when I was watching it. Um, when it came to doing the visual effects, when it came to doing the visual style of the movie, uh, what mm-hmm. were what were some of the inspirations that you had? <laughs> well, those are uh, anybody who's been following or saw the movie. I I think it's pretty obvious. Uh, it's been going around a lot, but Brian and Brian can attest to this. What I do before I direct every, before I'm going to direct, before I have to get myself my head into it, I, I've got to pick a, a style. I got to break down. I break it into down into threes. Um, so based on the material, I have to, I ask myself three questions: what it's going to look like in terms of look, right? Am I handheld? Is it colors? Is it muted? Um, is it colorful? Is it muted? That kind of thing. That's the first thing. Look in terms of color mm-hmm. and lighting. What is my look? And then the second thing I ask myself is, well, what's the style? Is it, is it like I said, are we going to go? You know, is it handheld? Does the are we on sticks? Uh, is it deliberate? Um, is the camera moving? Those kinds of things. And then the third is, what does the atmosphere feel feel like? So is it realistic? Uh, is it you know is it um, stylized, uh, quiet, loud with music, etc. Um, those are three different three different sort of aspects that I've elements that I break it, break it down into. So they never crossed cross into each other for tone for the atmosphere. Um, well, we'll start with, let's start with that. Let's start with uh, look, I was, I was watching a film, uh, mother, a film called mother of George that won, I believe a cinematography award at Sundance or if not Sundance, one of the other festivals, uh, and another film by the same director, sorry, I don't have, I, I can't rattle off the top of my head the name, um, but it was called uh, uh, Quiet, you know, not Quiet City. Um, oh, man, I'm drawing a blank. So there, that's, it's the same filmmaker, so it's the same style. Uh, Mother of George was a huge uh, inspiration watching that film, and I, I was watching it with the DP, and we studied it because of, um, what they were doing with with speed, what they were doing with um, colors, um, and what they were doing with with um, with setups, and very original stuff, very sort of um, I want to say nuanced. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was it was a lot. It was very experimental to us. Like they, the way they would frame close ups, the opposite way of what they tell you to do in film school. Uh, they were, there were so many things that they were doing in that movie. So visually, I definitely wanted to play with that because it was so striking. That was my choice in terms of colorful lighting, uh, sort of extreme colors. That's what we went for for that. For, um, for how the camera is going to move, I, I, when, I, if, when I knew what the colors were going to look like, I had to decide on how the camera is going to move. I usually go handheld. That's my favorite personal taste. Uh, but this time I was like, well, let's, 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 because of these characters, we want to keep the camera moving. There's a lot of talking. Let's keep the camera moving. Let's try to, I I wanted more than, than anything else to have life in this movie. (laughs) Brian and I always make jokes about our past work and, 
it's what it's degree of entertainment value. <laughs> so <laughs> we always we always talk about that. And so I wanted to keep the camera moving as much as possible. I knew there's a lot of dialogue, so uh, I wanted to sort of move the camera a lot. That came from camera movement was my boy Scorsese, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, um, and those greats. You know, uh, that was what I was looking like, and then atmosphere was very important wall-to-wall music it was a satire so i really wanted to keep you know we talked about that it's wall-to-wall music that was that's where the cooper came in um was the atmosphere don't take don't take anything too seriously i you know this is sort of a chaotic uh hilarious uh crazy world and uh so that's the atmosphere Kubrick was definitely the, the atmosphere yeah. uh influence yeah, and we've already, and Brian and I have already touched on, at least in terms of the writing, because from a structural standpoint, um, the film very much is, uh, owes a debt to Eyes Wide Shut in the way that uh, Michael Green, the, the main character, goes into this world of artificial intelligence and sex bots and all of this stuff is very foreign to his own, and he's trying to sort of figure out what he—he's trying. I think he's trying to figure out so much about himself, and the mm-hmm. way that Brian wrote the script uh, is very much is you—you you can definitely tell the structural influence of Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, and then did Brian? Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, and then oh, yeah. the visual standpoint. I mean the the way the colors work, the color scheme, the the use of reds, the use of um, the the use of the sort of Christmas colors, even though it's not directly set at Christmas like Kubrick did in Eyes Wide Shut, right. um, is very much, and the music is very much inspired by Eyes Wide Shut, and that's one of the things that I really I know really resonated with me watching the film back in November. That's cool. Did Brian? Thank you. Did Brian? Did uh? Did actually? I'm gonna I'm gonna go by. I'll separate you guys. Distinguish you guys by last name, like like we did in high school. Did actually um? Did actually tell you about uh about how the discussion we had about Eyes Wide Shut? Did you guys? Did you talk about that? We talked a little bit about it, but um, I I actually need a refresher on how on at what point Eyes Wide Shut came into play in those early talks when we started discussing um you know the story more in depth okay yeah i it wasn't from the beginning it was we had already started the process and and i guess the first i want to say if the first draft was not finished the outline was on its way to being finished mm-hmm. um and i just happened to revisit it you know as you do as a as a prize fighter begin working out and you begin you know just skipping rope and getting your endurance up my workout is to watch movies free uh gearing up Gearing up, to, you know, when you when you get get gearing up to direct, and uh, I just popped in Eyes Wide Shut again, and I was so taken aback by it. Again, I've seen it so many times, but I just could not believe the audacity that Tom Cruise's character had. That's yeah. that's what really got to me. He just was he was relentless, um, and so for from a character standpoint, that really was a huge influence because I just I, I wouldn't have done. 90% of what that guy did in that movie, you know, I wouldn't have reacted the way that he would. So that's what intrigued me is that this guy would do that. So yeah, we talked about, it. I remember telling Brian, I was like, Brian, he's got to, this, this, let's make it about a place. 
<laughs> That's what I remember saying. Yeah. I'm like, let's make it about a place, and let's try to. I, I really want to want to have like an underground place. You know, I'm fascinated by that, and so I think Brian found a way to weave that weave that tale perfectly. I think into the movie. It was fun. It was so much fun too. I mean, coming to to this place with you to to discover that that I mean, it gives it it. it it was it was it was such a cool thing to to shape you know this this secret hidden place who the hell knows where it is in new york city you know <laughs> but we know secret places out there uh yeah. so that was yeah that was wild that was great it was a lot of fun too and you know what's crazy uh actually <laughs> um you know and scuttle i think uh there are we found out later that there are underground places like this in the city <laughs> um and and if you do do some digging, you find a little bit of everything, you know, uh, underground places. I was in Berlin, and uh, once this this woman who works for me told me that she, when she went to Berlin, she went to some 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 club, and in Berlin, she said you should check out this place, but I don't think you're brave enough to. <laughs> she said there's a place that does. She said that there's a place that doesn't um that two thirty it doesn't open until like two thirty in the morning. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm out already. I can't stay up that late. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm old now, but I can't stay up. But she said there are places where you need some sort of password to get through. And it's not, I wouldn't think it's just like guys wide, but uh, you yeah. have to get approved to get in. And then, you know, it, it, it's like a, it's like a warehouse, and it's some kind of a, like a rave kind of, kind of party. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, I would find out later that these sort of underground communities exist. Uh, Brian just really went to town on the creativity of what it was, <laughs> what was inside. <laughs> uh, I wasn't able to fully um, bring to life some of the things he wrote. I had to, I didn't have the the um, luxury of being able to shoot dialogue. But Brian and I'm, I'm ex- I don't know if the version that you're going to submit to the Academy Awards, Brian, uh, we were. Uh, we were invited to include the screenplay in their library. Um, I don't know if you if you're going to have that published, what what you originally wrote versus what I actually was shot. Um, but Brian was really descriptive in what was taking place when you first walk into that parlor. <laughs> uh, it becomes yeah, it becomes its own movie in a sense because it's its own world, mm-hmm. and to be yeah. able to play with that contrast, what does that look and sound like compared to you know, New York that we, you know, like, let's say New York of the 80s. Like, this is just, like, no one, no one's walking around right. having a good time in New York at 10 o'clock at night. You know, it, it's just uh, <laughs> such a drab place. So playing with that contrast was a blast. You know what would be funny? What if, you know what would be funny now that I think about it, and I'm probably nuts enough to do it. I don't know if I have the time. It'd be nice to, sh- to, to, to shoot it the way you wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> with, the dialogue, with the dialogue in it, he has every every corner that you turn into in his version of the script. There's there's activity, there's role playing, there's combinations of humans and androids that would blow the human mind. <laughs> <laughs> and he has some wild stuff going on. I just did not. I had to move a lot quicker, and so I couldn't linger on those moments. I couldn't set it up. Plus the space was what that that's what drove me crazy is I wanted to get what he I wanted to make it like he wrote it um as much as possible and so I was I was kind of uh crippled by saying well you know I walked into a space I would see a space I'm like well where's that interaction that he had with the girl slapping the, the android slapping the, the man in the suit <laughs> and then where's that oh man, where's that little interaction where there's 
people are emerging from the side room. I just could not find, I couldn't find uh, spaces. I couldn't find a space to accommodate every little um, right. moment you wrote. So I had to make it more sweeping and uh, I had to do it without dialogue. Yeah. And, and I mean, the fact of the matter is it's like, and what you're, what you're describing, the idea of what you're describing is it, it makes me want to watch that version too. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't. I I don't feel like I feel like the choices that are made in the film as it exists are still very much correct choices because so much of this I feel like is about atmosphere and so and if especially if Eyes Wide Shut is such a big influence on the film structurally as far as visually, I mean that's that's Kubrick right there. Like he, yes, he had dialogue in his movies, but he also had images. He also was, mm-hmm. he was so much more interested in images and the way the right. images and what dialogue was in there interact. Yeah. Sure. And then what, and also what wasn't seen. So you're right. The way yeah. it, the way it came out, it fits the rest of the film, I, I think. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you saying. Yeah. Plus it could have been hugely not distracting, but you like it just a a takeaway, just moving away from the story itself too much. You could get yeah. you can get lost, you know. If we shot it the way yeah. I wrote it, yeah. You just, <laughs> I mean, he didn't have whole sequences play out. He just had these little moments where you would hear stuff. Uh, so that that would move away from Kubrick and Eyes Wide and more mm-hmm. on to Eight and a Half. My other my influence in film period, uh, Fellini in yeah. Eight and a Half. He has sleepy moments. And you have those little words that be instead. If you watch those sweeping moments in, in the eight and a half, he has these little little lines of dialogue that are hilarious. You either hear them off off camera or on camera sometimes. Right. Uh, but it would have been it would have been a different movie. So I'm glad the, that yeah. film got sort of had us had us make what we had, you know. Um. Yeah. And and I mean the fact of the matter is, it's like the the film is so. When when it came to directing, when it came to directing the actors who are playing the androids, what was what was the approach and what inspiration did you take from maybe other past performances um, of android characters and artificial intelligence characters that we've seen? That's great, yeah. In like Blade uh, Runner, or even if we're continuing with Kubrick a little bit, um, Jude Law's Gigolo Joe and Eyes Wide in AI. I did see AI back in the day, once a long, long time ago, but I didn't reference. I didn't reference AI. I think we did speak about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we spoke about it. I I didn't have as much influence. I didn't have much to reference yeah. for that. Yeah. That was a casting. That was a casting thing, and I got to tell you, that's probably the the place we got the absolute luckiest. I mean that that was the that that was something else. That cast, the film cast itself, mm-hmm. Stephanie Bloom submitted to us, and it changed our approach to casting. Um, we we read a lot of a lot of actresses for for Sophia. We read a lot of actresses for Quinn. We went through a lot, and Stephanie came through, submitted a self tape video and snatched the part right away. <laughs> uh, and Stormy Maya did the same thing. She submitted. We, 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 we wouldn't have known to look for a Stormy Maya. We wouldn't have known to look for a Stephanie, Blonde, uh, a Stephanie Bloom. Um, 
we were, we were, we were, we saw everybody, you know. Um, but they, they presented not only having the approach of how they perform because their the, the self tapes and the auditions were spot on. I didn't even need to really direct them in the audition process. Mm-hmm. That's how good they were. Uh, but they also brought look to them and and a style. So um, the casting was was I didn't have to do much because they were already. <laughs> Uh, so perfectly, the humans as well, so perfectly uh, there, I thought, you know. What was... What was the, I, the, the idea, though, just to, to further answer your question for the people that want the sci-fi answer, uh, I wasn't going to try to do... I, I didn't have much reference. I didn't have much to reference. I wasn't going to attempt the, any kind of robotic voice to the... Right. Anything like that. We were going to just sort of, you know... We were, they had difference in how differences in slight differences in how they were programmed and their mm-hmm. programming, um, and that's what we went with. And so some people are a little bit uh, more fluid than others. The Sophia characters, I think, has been with Michael, um, has sort of adapted. He he must have customized her um, very very detailed <laughs> uh, in a detailed manner as that as that sequence that gets a lot of laughs. Of him choosing the different aspects and elements that his Andrew articulation—that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> intellect. Yeah. Oh, oh, and and uh, they, you know, they have these things now where they can really feed off you better. Um, so Stephanie's performance was perfect for that, and her choice was, uh, and we that we discussed was to, you know, really, really make it uncanny uh, of of the similarities between the human. And I would say Quinn, played by Stormy Maya, her choice was. A little bit sort of less customized, uh, mm-hmm. more that you, uh, uh, but the, he's the middle. And then I would say Cameron character, who we don't see a ton of, but Cameron is the male android. He, that choice was, I mean, he's fresh, he's almost fresh out the box. He doesn't bleed. This <laughs> 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 woman doesn't oh, yeah, want but, to talk much at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I will say, I mean, the performances in the movie are really good, and really good, and I mean, as they as the film has hit festivals, I mean, the performance, a lot of the performers have been justly uh, rewarded for their efforts. Yes, um, makes me happy. That's my proudest, that's the proudest uh, thing, I'm proudest part of the uh, element of the movie uh, that, I, that I'm the proudest of the performances and, and how they've been received, so thanks for, thanks yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's so great about this film, and I think it's it's especially important when you're dealing with speculative fiction, regardless of whether it's true sci-fi or not, like, um, but I think one of the most important things about speculative fiction is that you present the ideas, but you don't necessarily present a vantage point as to how you feel about those ideas. You're You're mm-hmm. not telling the audience this is how I feel about it. you're just presenting the audiences with audience with these ideas and you you hope that they can make they they will make up their own mind for themselves as to how they feel about those ideas. And I think that's Which one is of the strongest things about the film. Well Brian that's I appreciate that. That's something that you as a cine is a as a real cinebuff appreciate. That's something Brian and myself uh, really appreciate. Uh, and that's something that from our from our experience and in, in the in the in the at the sales and the um, territories 
that it's going for overseas and their reaction to it, other distributors, other buyers internationally, they, they seem to appreciate that. But American audiences don't typically appreciate that at all. <laughs> oh, that's right, yeah. American no, audiences are more comfortable with um, knowing uh, how they're supposed think? to feel, which is kind of a weird thing. I got that question over and over again, and it frustrated me at the film festival Q and A's. I hate that question. What do you want us to feel from it? That's crazy. <laughs> what do you want me to feel? Oh my god! Like, what do you want us to take from it? Because we want it to be told something. It's like, what do you feel? Yeah. And subsequently, a lot of them felt like it was like after seeing it, they wanted one. So, <laughs> so I, I didn't expect that. I thought we were, you know, I thought we were sort of making more of a you know, an absurd, absurd uh, warning or some sort. <laughs> hey, this thing could get really weird, but uh, you know, maybe the way those scenes were at the end were written made made it made them, and maybe it made sense to them uh, why one would want to own one of these things. Well, and I think that you know, and I I think it goes to American American audiences are so used to being told how to sort of feel about this about issues like this right especially right. if it's something more ambiguous that they don't really know how to feel and they don't really appreciate it i mean yep. You, yep. you can see that Look at us. You, i mean you can see that in kubrick's work i mean you know you talk we were talking earlier about eyes wide shut where and i mean even which one of the things brian was mentioning as an influence being john malkovich and, you know, I made well, the yeah. point where it's like, it's really interesting that, like, we're talking about a movie in 2019 where you've got two films from 1999 and keeping with the class of 1999 series that I'm working on, where oh, these two be, significant films be. from that year are bleeding yep. over in being in inspiring movies now. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yes, and the camera of uh, Magnolia is was was, was that was ninety nine. Yep. Who, who got Magnolia, by the way? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not, who got Magnolia? Uh, <laughs> Brian another, got another filmmaker friend of mine. But oh, that guy. <laughs> yeah, oh, devastating. That's like oh, but no, no, no. I, I eyes wide is eyes wide is perfect for 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 me and being John Malkovich as well. I love those movies. Uh, yeah, Malkovich is was a huge was a huge influence. Um, but yeah, those those films from '99 were special, you know. Those are some special movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, what a great year that was! Um, but yeah, the, I don't think that the uh, in terms of telling people how to feel, I, I asked Brian and David this question um, hypothetically, and I'll ask you, Scuttle, what do you think would be the reaction today if Clockwork if, if a Clockwork Orange came out today? Um. All I can in, in America. <laughs> well, first of all, I uh, if it came out today in America, I I think it would, I I think you would have a lot of people uh, wanting it banned, like it was in the United Kingdom for so long. Um, I right. you know the fact of the matter is, it's like I feel like if if you want to, I feel like it would almost be misunderstood, like Fight Club was. You know, oh, talking again about 1999 film. But I mean, the, <laughs> the nihilism in Clockwork Orange, and I, I think, I, I don't know if a filmmaker like Kubrick could work in Hollywood today. I really right. don't know right. they would. 
because it's so drastically different. I mean, it's like the fact that Terrence Malick has been able to have this sort of career after like, you know, Tree of Life where it's like he's been able to make film after film after film, you know, right. it's kind of astonishing to me because of the fact that it's like Terrence Malick in very much <laughs> like Kubrick is an acquired taste. And it's like mm-hmm. he, he's somebody who really challenges th- people and he doesn't make films that are easy to digest. It, I think it would be right. very difficult for Kubrick to get a film made nowadays. And I, I'd ask another question, a follow-up question. I asked Brian as well. When's the last? Uh, what's the last satire you saw released in America? What's the last American satire that we've seen? I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, the last one I can think of is "Thank You for Smoking." I feel like there's one since then, but I cannot remember for the life of me. I feel like there's been one, at least one since then. But I feel like there's been something since then. But yeah, it's it's tough to, it's tough to, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, the fact of the matter is, it's like studios just, even the indies, they don't necessarily want to make those movies anymore. And it's a damn shame. Let me You're ask you guys, do you think do you think American audiences don't like to think that we that we just prefer to be um just entertained? Is there like just a lack of um curiosity I, or reflection? I think they like to I do think they like to be to think up to a point. I, I don't okay. think they like to, uh, to think about movies up to a point. I mean you, you look at Christopher Nolan. I mean, his movie, he makes these gigantic movies where not necessarily everything is spelled out in black and white, but people still flock to him. People still, re- it still resonates with people. And so I think to a certain extent, it, it entirely depends on the person who's telling the story. I, I think if you're telling it in a way that is very much within genre, within modern sort of escapist conventions, I think you can get away with a lot more thought than if it's something a bit more bolder, if it's a bit bolder and not as easily digestible on the first viewing. I think I, I like both of those those reasons that you guys give. My Mine would be, my question would be perhaps, um, is a mixture of the both. I don't think it's as negative, or not negative, but I don't think uh, that I would judge it as the American audiences don't like to think. I think that what I think they don't like that they prefer to think about other other things. Like they prefer to work things. If they're going to think and get involved, it seems like they prefer um, sort of to figure out what happened. Right? They like the mystery of it. Yeah. I like to solve. You ever, you ever notice that how people they yeah. love to watch those thrillers and Gone Girl and films that you have to put together and mm-hmm. go, I knew it was her, you know. They like that kind of thinking yeah. in a genre, in a in a you know. They want they they at the end it's solved though. They don't want to be like, hey, go home. Maybe it was the girl. Well, maybe it was the mom. Hey, that's I feel very comfortable not knowing who it is. No, no, no. They want to they want to mm-hmm. work to fix it out, but then they want to be confirmed that they're right. So there's that kind of you know that. That kind of that kind of thinking, but in terms of a satire, we don't see a lot of those at all because it, it they're not they're not they're not definite. 
They're yeah. not um, they're not the exact insane. Hey, we're going to tell you what to think about this. Besides adding some music and showing how absurd the filmmaker thinks the world that they created is. Um, after that, the the audience, the American audience, might feel left out of the fun. Yeah. Well, now we're so overprotected. I don't think, like you're saying, I don't think. Uh, well, like like Brian, you're saying, I don't think. Or I forget who's saying what. But who? Uh, uh, what is it? Um, uh, the Kubrick film you mentioned, uh, th- th- it, it wouldn't, uh, it'd be banned. Clockwork Orange? Clockwork Orange, yeah. Clockwork, yeah. Yeah, of course. It, 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 we're, yeah. So I, I, I'm going to write, write myself a note to look into um, uh, satires. Let's see what, yeah. <laughs> let's see where <laughs> they, hey, the hell they hey, are, how well they're hey, doing. <laughs> hey, Scuttle, hey, Scuttle, you, do you remember Bullworth? Yeah. Yeah, I um, saw it in the theater. Right? All right, it's fantastic. Now, I have it on DVD. This yeah. guy's rapping. This guy's rapping. A rapping politician who says Trump shit. Well, he, he's just he's saying, but he's from a lib, from a liberal standpoint. He's saying yeah. shocking things that you never hear a, um, a politician say. And Holly Berry is like running around with him uh, yeah. in his limo while he's. And uh, I don't remember there being a very strong positive reaction from American oh, audience no. to that. No, well, right. and the thing is, it's like that <laughs> was. Well, and the thing is, it's like that was that was that is a very interesting time, and like, in if you think about the time where that and Primary Colors and Wag the Dog, because all, all of those came out within like a five six month period, like that was right around the time of the Lewinsky thing. And so that okay. was right around the time of that. So it's like, I, I, it's fascinating to see the way those audiences just kind of bounced off of those. And I think part of it is, and to go back to nowadays as far as satire, I think to a certain extent it's kind of difficult to do satire right now because it feels like so much of things happening in the real world is so absurd that it almost makes <laughs> satire absolutely like how, yeah, yeah. like how many times have you re- read an article like a, a title of an onion article and thought that's very much that's real it. life that's a real thing <laughs> yeah and then these days as you can see socially and politically everybody there's no gray area everybody's no, only thinking no. of, it's all black and white and black yeah. and Yep, and so there's no gray area. There's no room for nuance. If you think this, then you must be a that. If there's some extreme, if you disagree with the narrative, then you must be a Nazi. Or if you disagree with this, then you're a bleeding uh, uh, snow snowflake. Yeah, <laughs> you know, or snow puff or whatever the, the terms mm-hmm. are. It's always an extreme. Um, um, it's, a, it's, it's always it's always like you said. It's got a black and white. It's never in a gray area. And I think satires exist in the gray area. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's that's one of the more that that's one of the things that's so enriching about a movie like twenty fifty is that it really it it brings up ideas that it, it brings up ideas that we I mean, Brian, I, I see you and I see the twenty fifty movie page present you know, offering up articles all the time about advan- advances in artificial intelligence, advances in terms of sex robots in the real world this stuff is happening in the real world and it's mm-hmm. it's it's fascinating to and that's one of the things that is so great about this film from a thematical standpoint is that it's it's very much 
it's very much it's even though it's set in 2050 which feels like a far would feel as far away in reality it really isn't and mm-hmm. i mean and the fact that you've got these ideas that are going and you know the fact that there's a film out there that i think is an ex- is exceptional i thought it was a fantastic film when i saw it thank you and, so much man. um deals with ideas that ai can bring up in people in a way that is intelligent and thought-provoking but also entertaining this is a very entertaining movie I mean, in, Thank God. In, Thank in, you. yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, I don't really, you know, I I don't look at it as satire. But actually, the more I think, of, I didn't look at it as satire when I first saw it. But the more we're talking about it, the more we I think about it. It's like, yeah, it is satirical. Wall to wall, wall to wall, circus music sometimes. Um, Wall to wall. I don't know if we were marketing it as, as satire. I think we were. I know I wanted to stay away from satire. I remember early yeah. on we talked about staying away from. I uh, definitely. I think we might have had an interaction on 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 Twitter, Scuttle, about you know me saying, "Hey, I'm not marketing this thing as as as, as sci-fi at all." Me and Brian learned our lesson before, uh, <laughs> so we're not going to do that. The sci-fi fans will come for your head. Yeah. Um, and this is. This is not for the uh, the ex machina fan, and uh, I know that marketing doesn't like me to do, not doesn't like me, but the marketing uh, consultant that we work with, uh, they didn't like my answers because they were a little bit too honest and too straightforward for marketing purposes. But I'll say it now: this is you like ex machina. There's a great chance that you're not going to like this. So if you're looking for ex machina in 2050, just stay away. I'm not giving you that. Like, we don't have ex machina. Ex machina for the for not only just budgetary reasons. I would say more so for what being for the approach. The approach in its machina was they were what were they questioning? They weren't questioning the the real. Uh, they weren't really questioning the this this technology's effect on 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 relationships as a whole. They were only they they looked at it with the with the you know they were only focused on a few characters. Yeah. They were really focused on the technology itself, right? Really exploring that technology. Um, and in a very expository, expl- uh, explanatory way, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, they were questioning the threat, the physical threat of that technology, which is cause and effect, and that had to that had to conclude with the death. <laughs> you know, like that's the extreme. Those are the questions answered. What are we doing? What is this technology doing? How far can it go? Oh my God! And what could be? Welcome. Oh damn, a guy's dead. You know, people people are dead. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's there. I mean, that's the that's very con- that's very concrete and conclusive. Um, we were we 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 are not going we're not going to compete with that. We're not going to even go there. We're going to just discuss the effect that it has on our relationships. Right. Yeah, and I I think that's I think that's one of the most important parts about it is that it is focused on it's focused on a very basic human need for connection. And right. the and questioning well, what is that? What does that look like within the context of having artificial intelligence that we can basically tailor make for ourselves? Right. And that's one of the things that's so. That's one of the things that's so wonderful about this film is that that is 
that's that's a discussion that's worth having and it's not just for you know it's like we we've 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 thrown about around the you know we've thrown around the term sex robots a lot in this discussion but the fact of the matter is it's like they're that's not necessarily just their purpose for the characters in this movie Right. It may be the main purpose in some cases, but it's not the only one. Right. Right. I agree. I agree. It's uh, we were we were really focused on you know the questions that next Machina would not ask. We're not we're not interested in. We were interested in what is it going to be like when your ex your ex is with an android. You know what is it going to be like when you when when you're is it cheating. Like that's something nobody talked about, you know. Um, is it considered cheating? Um, we've had sex toys in the world for years. Is that considered cheating if you're in a relationship? Because this this could essentially be a sex toy that just has a body to it, an mm-hmm. artificial body to it. Um, so we were interested in asking those questions, and and um, and and that's sort of what we were interested in. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's one of the yeah, it, and and it's a movie that I think is, I I think is comparable quite favorably to other movies like Ex Machina, like AI, like um, like uh, Blade Runner and Blade Runner forty nine twenty forty nine, in how they deal with um, artificial intelligence and the question. You know what? I never saw I never saw Blade Runner the first one. I never saw the second. I never saw twenty forty nine either. Oh really? We were making yeah, yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen it. Um and I and I, I, I maybe I purposely stayed away so I wouldn't either fe- I wouldn't feel any kind of comparison to it. I wouldn't feel any pressure um to do anything close to what they were doing. I don't mm-hmm. I don't I still to this day I don't know what they what they were doing with it. <laughs> and I did not and I and I stayed away from revisiting Ex Machina. I, I I think I took a look at one of the interactions between the um the android and the the machine and the guy. I took one look at the interaction but that wasn't for me. I showed that to um uh, one of the actors. Um because I, I can't remember if it was Stephanie or if it was Stormy. Uh, I, I remember showing that scene to them as an example of why they don't have to uh, play at robotic. Right. Uh, or as an example, I'm like, hey, here's an example. How far to the left or to the right do we want to go from, from this kind of tone? So that answered your question earlier. That I just thought of that. I did take a clip of Ex Machina and show that clip just to uh, a couple of the actors as a starting point of, I didn't want them to feel any pressure on, um, you know, how how they had to behave. Yeah. Um, I think it, so that that was something um, that I, I remember showing them, but I didn't study it for myself at all. I tried to stay away from mm-hmm. from any influences, and maybe that helped because if, at the very if, if we're anything on this, hopefully we're original. And now, I mean, I am hearing that, and that's tough to do these days. So yes, if, <laughs> if we if, if we have originality, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm thrilled. Oh, I'll take that. Yeah. Well, we lost Brian here. Let me see if I can get him back no in here. Just a minute. No problem. Well, what what is uh what is what is next for the film as it's uh, as it's gone through theaters? I know it's gone through theaters. It's gone through film festivals. 
what's next for we're still actually in theatrical we're doing um um a oh is brian on voice only um oh there he is you're, okay, no, there, you're still in there i didn't see you so i was just so we we take, we are still in limited theatrical we're, you're going to see us pop up uh, a bunch of different places uh, Brian, I, I, I scuttle. I, I, um, I, I, I'm hearing that we there's a shot at Atlanta as you requested. So okay. fingers crossed. Uh, we're this is a rollout similar to another sort of sci-fi-ish, um, low-budget movie, uh, Coherence, which you've seen, I, I'm sure. I'm trying to remember if I don't know if I've even I don't know that I've never. You so- you, sir, will love Coherence. Coherence has like almost a 99% score or something crazy like that on, uh, I think, with um, fans and, and critics. Okay. It's like universally, like it's almost universally loved uh, or unanimously loved. But it's a low-budget movie that was about a comet appearing over a house, and then there was like a couple of different dimensions that were, that came from it. But I, we, we were a fan of that rollout. We actually saw that little movie in theaters. Uh, I saw it in New York. And it was on one screen here in New York. And David, I, I told David, I said, hey, man, this thing is going to be out of theaters tomorrow. Can you go see it in L.A. at the same time? And he did. This was years ago. It came out in 2014. Okay. We made it after we finished, we, we made it after we finished shooting um, Alienated. And um, after we made Alienated, we, and it, it, Alienated was in post. We wanted to see how far a little sci-fi movie could actually go and we had heard about it so we followed it i wanted to see what movie got in got in the screen and i think they did about seven cities i want to say like and so we we patterned uh the release strategy like they did what they did is they they opened theatrically so you can only see it in one theater in la then another theater in the bay area then another theater and it sort of traveled like that and then toward the end they increased their number of cities slightly as their video on demand was going to come out. So we're not making a video on demand announcement yet, uh, but we're going to remain uh, in select theaters uh, um, across the country. Popping up, we, uh, we just popped up in Brooklyn, had a nice screening there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're kind of doing like a pop-up thing as we continue to uh, roll it out, and then people should be able to get it um, video on demand uh, later, later summer, early fall. Okay. Yeah, and I I will obviously uh, I I will obviously promote the Living Daylights album Atlanta release if it uh, does come to Atlanta because I I want to see it again on the big screen because I I think just from a visual standpoint I I'm I'm fascinated to see it on the big screen but I also kind of want to see it with an audience and I want to see okay. how the reaction is so mm-hmm. yes I I do hope to see it on the big screen here in Atlanta. Um, yeah, it's fun to watch stuff with an audience. It's fun to watch stuff with an audience and see stuff that makes you, that makes that people laugh at that you're not expect that you don't expect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, we shot this. We shot the movie in two three five, which is to be experienced, but on a, yeah. in a theater, you know, uh, on a big screen. Um, and then also to add finish that point, Brian, there have been some changes that I would love for you to see. We've made some updates. Okay. Uh, so I would love for you to see. You probably saw an early festival version. It's been, I think, it's pretty different. Um, okay. Not in terms of not not majorly different, but there are little nuances that that are different, um, like sequences, opening sequences that are different, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I'd be looking. I'd be interested for you to see the latest version. So we're gonna, you know, I, I made sure that 
as we spoke to the theaters and we worked with distribution that we included Atlanta on that list. And I had you in mind for that. So thank okay. you. Vic. Excellent. Um, what, why the, so, so we, we were talking about the cast earlier. We, we didn't actually mention the biggest name in the cast and that's Dean. Oh King. yeah. He actually plays the proprietor of, uh, where people are getting some of some people are getting their sex robots from. How did mm-hmm. how did you get in, him involved in the project? <laughs> how the hell did you guys get Dean Kane in your movie? <laughs> <laughs> um, Dean was uh, it, we through a mutual friend who had worked with him, a friend of mine, Joel uh, Reason, um, had you know knew him, and I reached out to Joel. I didn't know Joel from a from a hole in the wall, but. I, I knew he'd worked with Dean, and I somehow reached out to him, and um, and he and I became friends, and, and we're talking about other projects, um, and then we ended up. I didn't. I don't think I reached out to him about Dean Kane at all. That wasn't that what I was reaching him about. We were talking about other stuff and distribution things, and then it just so ha- happens that I reached out to him about about Dean, and before you know it, uh, he said, "Well, I can make the connection and send in the script," and. Um, we sent him the script, and uh, and he if the offer he said if the um, you know if the script if the script worked for him, he would he would do it. And he we saw we showed him some early raw footage in the movie. We didn't have anything to show him but raw footage uh, and the script. And he was he was excited. He loved he loved it, and he signed right up um, to do the movie. And uh, we paid him, and he showed up, and he killed it. Uh, he on set, you uh, people might be surprised that. He has. He was making fun of uh, us later in an interview about how many pages that we gave him <laughs> of dialogue that Brian wrote. But what was so incredible is that he just didn't want to say a word. I mean, he didn't want to. He didn't want to change a word. You know, when you're, mm-hmm. you're dealing with a, a that was the first, biggest star I'd ever directed uh, that we'd ever worked in the period. I think as a as a this group and. Um, it was funny, you know, I was making sure I didn't get in the way, and, I, and he was like, ooh, he would stumble on a couple of lines as he was trying to learn this monologue, and I said, hey, you can make it your own. You know, me and Brian aren't going to be mad at you if, there, if, if there's too many words here or you want to take this paragraph out here. And he, he was like, no, no, absolutely not. He goes, I don't want to change a word of this. So I'm very proud to say that he wrote every word that comes out of Dean's mouth, uh, Brian wrote, um, and um, – and I think there's one line that he even improv, but he added a line or two at the end <laughs> <laughs> uh, where he closed the scene out. Um, so that we, we were incredibly fortunate to have him. Uh, and he continues to be an advocate for us. And he popped up on TV shows to promote it. I don't know if you saw. He was on Fox and Friends promoting it a bunch mm-hmm. of times. He was on a show promoting it. And uh, we're just incredibly fortunate to not only have him in this movie, but to know him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what, uh, what do you guys really too? I'm very happy with Dean's performance. Mm-hmm. What do you guys have coming up next? Well, Brian, you can answer that. I'm not really on the production side <laughs> anymore. But actually, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, shot, I shot a, a very small uh, feature in Florida, uh, which has taken me about two years to, uh, to put together uh, because it's, and, uh, Micro budget, which is the kind word of saying no budget, <laughs> out of pocket, <laughs> and uh, wildly fun film to make, but it's completely outside of the Hollywood system. Uh, so it's yeah. it's I don't expect it. I, I expect my audience to be maybe be two percent of uh, 
of a major <laughs> audience. So it's like, this is sort of one of the, this is kind of an invitation only type of thing to watch. Okay. It's called Do Us Part. It's a psychological uh, horror, thriller, supernatural, experimental, uh, wall to wall music. Um, so I'm kind of playing with uh, all kinds of fun elements. It's it's a complete art house film. Okay. And yeah, pretty made, con- I, I kind of knew. I kind of knew when I was uh, asking that question because you you have said that this is your last feature. <laughs> oh no! I I didn't say I, I'm not saying that anymore. I okay. really regret. Um, <laughs> Dean got, got mad at me. I'm just saying that right now. Like I don't I don't have anything on the horizon. Okay. <laughs> that okay. I'm yes, not that, gonna- that's- that's fine. I mean, honestly, even if it does end up being your last feature, that's fine because it's a heck of a way to go out. Um, but I, I certainly hope it isn't because of the fact that in the, and it's funny. This this is this is actually like it was ten years ago, Princeton, that you reached out and sent me your guys's work as far as Cookies and Cream and Uptown, and so that's how I got to know you for the first time and talk to you for the first time. And talk to you about your m- movies. So it's it's really yeah, yeah. It, it's so much it's so fitting on so many levels that like ten years later here we are we're we're talking about your recent films and uh, <laughs> your recent films together. And one of the things I I love about it is that you guys have stayed very much the same in terms of what's important to you guys as far as filmmaker as far as stories to tell as filmmakers, but also yeah. to see how much you guys have grown as well. Oh, man, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much. I, I There's been a lot of changes I think we have involved naturally, but one of the coolest things is that the nucleus is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been Brian and I have been working together since 07, 06, I think. Um, maybe yeah. maybe maybe even earlier and uh it's just so much fun to work with Brian and I will tell you this if there's if there's anybody going to quote unquote get me back in the chair or on a production <laughs> it's going to be Brian Ackley that's the only one you know Brian is <laughs> and I like a and, good challenge so. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he knows what I like and we like the same stuff we're we're fascinated by conspiracy theories and 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 if the the leaf that we if they if we don't believe the theory, that makes us even more excited about it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we're like, there's no way this conspiracy theory is real. So that means that it's make a great story, you know. Um, and there's so endless there's, material out there. Endless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we and and uh, I gotta say, uh, uh, Scuttle actually is a lot of fun to work with. It's always very easy, and uh, it just it, it when it's that easy to work with somebody and mm-hmm. that fun, it's it's, it's not a cha- it's not a it's not a pain. Uh, so I wouldn't see it as as anything painful um, because he's involved, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as uh, he and I, you know, have been working together, so that's been the cool part. And we'll still be here talking about movies with you, with him. When we first talked about Cookies and Cream all those years ago, is a lot of fun. Yeah. So and I had already mentioned in Princeton that this script was one of the was the maybe the easiest film I've ever written in collaboration with other partners. Uh, which I've already I shared that sentiment with you before, uh, but our process of writing was just so smooth. Um, but anyway, so yeah, the feelings are all mutual. Yeah. So where is uh, so you mentioned that it's current in currently going around theatrically? 
I know it did have a screening recently here in New York, in uh, recently in New York this past weekend. Right. Uh, where's mm-hmm. the next place that's going to be uh, playing at? I can't confirm. Um, I'm I'm looking at a. Uh, um, there's a Midwest. There's a, a there's a Midwest possibility coming up really soon. Um, there is a and then like I said, Atlanta. Um, we're going to basically look for expected in those cities. I mean, I'm not. I can't confirm yet, so I right. can't give you any confirmation. Right. But, but if there's any, if there's anything I can give, is I can say, expected to the, the the next cities to be cities that we haven't already played. Now, <laughs> I know that leaves yeah. that leaves like 45, <laughs> 40, only forty four more states to go, guys. But uh, <laughs> I won't. We're not going to do a lot of repeats, so you won't yeah. see us. I don't think see us in uh, the Los Angeles area because we did two weeks out there. We have mm-hmm. the, the great, great little run out there. Uh, we, we've already hit New York City. Um, so, you know, those, no Nashville probably and no, and no, um, and no Baltimore, or no Baltimore, or no Maryland, but, you know, places like we're looking at uh, South Florida, we're getting, uh, here's a, a better answer. We're, we're going into where we being where we're being requested. So that's, that's a great answer. That's a, that's a much better answer to your question is, these are the places that there's demand. Philly yeah. is number one by far. <laughs> um, Long Island is number two. There's Milwaukee. There's Atlanta. There's a lot of there's some Orlando's we're seeing. Um, there's Michigan. There's Houston. There is uh, Chicago. That's our that's a little bit of our Midwest. And there's Michigan. So those are eight cities. I'm telling you right now that yeah. we got our eye on, and that's to the fans demanding it, and those are the ones that we get the most requests for. So we're probably going to be, uh, I guess it's the first time I've, I've revealed uh, which cities are in the lead for for uh, uh, bringing it to your city. We have a demanded feature, guys, for anybody that is interested that's listening to this. Um, there's a demanded in your city feature that we have that we sort of got from Paranormal Activity mm-hmm. and, other, uh, and other similar uh, release strategies. And Philly, those cities that I named are the ones in, in the lead. So those are the ones that we have our eyes on first. Yes, I was about to say, where can people go to demand it in their <laughs> cities? They can go to 20, uh, 2050movie.com. All and right. uh, they'll be able to You click, uh, go over to the watch uh, section and under the watch section, and it'll tell you where it's playing currently, and you'll be able to demand it in that city. And we're going to keep that in, uh, in in mind. Those other cities are in the lead, but that doesn't mean that they can't be taken over by another city. Or does it mean that we can't just add the new demanded cities or or city or to the uh, list? All right. And some of us might be there uh, in certain releases, certain cities, and you're you're probably going to find somebody from the cast and crew there to either introduce the film or do a Q and A afterwards. Okay, excellent. Yeah, most of the time we have had a representative of the film, a cast or crew member at these screenings. Yeah. So chances are we'll be able to continue that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, yeah, definitely. And if if whoever uh, who you know whoever if if it does end up in Atlanta, uh, you know you definitely know where to uh, get in contact with me and. You know, I would oh, definitely, yeah. I would definitely love to. Uh, you know, I'll definitely promote the living daylights out of it. Um, and because <laughs> the fact of the matter is, it's it's a wonderful film, and it's a, uh, it's it's a movie that is, 
it it gets to I I think even though you guys aren't necessarily promoting it as sci-fi per se because of uh you know you don't want people to have these sort of outsized expectations of what to expect with it it mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. I I think it accomplishes what the best sci-fi can do which is it's speculative fiction um telling us about reflecting something about our current world within a world that isn't necessarily ours yet. And I think that's one of the things that great sci-fi does, and I definitely think 2050 is a part of that. That's a good way to put it, Brian. Yeah, thank you. That's a very good way to put it. I mean, especially as technology is concerned and the technology's influence on us and and we and our use as it with it as a tool yeah well thank you very much gentlemen for uh joining me today it was a lot of fun to talk to you um we you know we got over the uh technical you know bumps and start fits and spurts but we you know i i i feel like this was a really great conversation about a movie that I know means a lot to you guys and certainly means a lot to me as a movie watcher. And I definitely hope that as people, as it goes into more theater, more cinemas, as it hits video on demand, I do hope that people uh, check it out and uh, take it, take a look at it and um, think about it. Think about what it's trying to say and, or what it's not trying to say and sort of, what it's presenting as a way of getting to a conversation. Right. Uh, yeah, we appreciate that. Uh, we really appreciate your support. Um, it's been very, very um, appreciated and flattering. And uh, your, your writing on the film, that's easily my favorite review, not just because it's positive. <laughs> uh, I've, I've had, Brian and I will tell you, we've had some favorites that were negative. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're on our favorite list, but yours just had the details and, um, and you caught the references and, uh, I really, really appreciate it. And, and the rest of the cast and crew does as well. I'd like to thank Brian and Princeton for joining me today. Uh, Brian has been on a lot with the class of 99. He's got at least one more in that one. We're going to do Princeton. I'm looking forward to finally getting to the, uh, films that we're going to talk about on that. But we really want, I really wanted to get them to talk about 2050 because it's a movie, it's, it's honestly going to be one of the best films I've seen this decade. Um, it, that's how much it meant to me watching it. And I'm really excited to uh, see what updates and see what changes uh, Princeton may have made uh, since I watched it in November. And... Um, like I said, like they said, you can go to 2050movie.com, demand in your city, uh, be on the lookout for video on demand. And uh, so that's that's going to be really exciting. Um, I'm really appreciative for both of those people, too, for their time. Uh, coming up, we have some more of the Class of 99 coming up. Uh, three of the biggest uh, movies of 1999 in terms of reputation as well as the themes that they present. Really look into that as well as a rare, almost, it, it, I 
it's almost a uh, an immediate sort of film review that um, our resin kaiju expert and I will be discussing the recent uh, Godzilla King of the Monsters. And so be on the lookout for that one as well. Uh, also be on the lookout for filmmaker interviews. There are a couple that I'm hoping to get to in throughout the summer as I've been uh, screening more uh, releases for release. There's one coming up this uh, coming week on a new documentary about the Woodstock Music Festival. For now, this is uh, Brian Scuttle. Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, join me at the Sonic Cinema Patreon and subscribe and you'll get stuff like um, discussions on the chapters of my upcoming book, Why is the Rabbit Wearing Sunglasses? And I took a different... Um, angle as far as doing that uh, this past couple weeks with a very special audio commentary and you'll you can only hear that at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema for now this is Brian Scuttle thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com <laughs>